0: Hello everyone, we'll look at Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 10 today, Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 10, God's amazing love. Uh, our small group started last week, and uh, hopefully you signed up for a small group, and you um, Hopefully you'd like your small group. Um, you know, it's, it's one of those things, uh, sometimes first impressions, you, you know, you, you join a small group and uh, go to a gathering of people and we have some first impressions and you wonder, oh man, how am I going to survive here? But a lot of times God uses those very people that we doubt about and uh, he uses that to bring us closer to himself. And, And uh, we'll see something of that kind of dynamic, uh, impressions of people and how we think about that that might be different from God from this passage. Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 10. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. I tell you there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Verse 8 Or what woman having 10 silver coins if she loses one coin does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it she calls together her friends neighbors saying rejoice with me for I found the lost for I found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word uh, is a lamp to our feet, light to our path. It shows us by opening up our, our spiritual eyes uh, to see who you are and to see our hearts and what this life is about. We pray that you would do that at this time through your word. Give us guidance to see our own hearts that would enable us to walk rightly before you. We pray that it would be your spirit that takes your word and ministers it to us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I think uh, I decided I'm going to um, linger a little bit longer in the gospel of Luke for a little bit examining some parables, and I thought it was very appropriate to think about some of these things um, at this time of the year, the beginning of the fall semester, and uh, today we're going to think about God's love, and uh, who does not want to think about God's love? So we'll, we'll kind of uh, see that through these parables in this text. First, uh, God's personal love. From verse 1, the context here is that uh, it says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him, Jesus. The Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and he's with them. So usually there's a particular scenario that causes Jesus to start telling a parable. Parable, which is basically a story that teaches us something about kingdom things that teaches us something about God. On this particular occasion, tax collectors and sinners were coming and hanging around Jesus. Tax collectors were Jews who collected taxes from other Jews for the Romans because Jews were under Roman rule at that time. So they were employed by the Romans to 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 collect taxes from their own people. But now problem is many tax collectors often overcharged and scammed, basically, their fellow Jews and kept the extra money for themselves. So they were considered to be basically thieves because that's what they were doing, stealing money from their own people. And it was like the likes of these people, tax collectors, and others who were collectively grouped together because of maybe what they did for a living or whatever as sinners And it was these types of people that were drawing near to Jesus, to hear Jesus. The Pharisees and the scribes, on the other hand, were religious leaders, religious teachers. And they saw what was going on here, and they had a problem with what Jesus was doing. This man receives sinners and eats with them, because eating together meant you accept them. You're actually having fellowship together over a meal. And this, seeing this, it was incredulous to them. This man actually accepts sinners. You're supposed to stay away from sinners, push away sinners, not hang out with them, not sit down and actually eat with them. Um, we look at this kind of story now, and um, and we keep, like in the same way that the Pharisees didn't understand what he's like. We don't understand the Pharisees' perspective. We kind of look down on the Pharisees. like Why are they being so condescending like this? Um, but just to kind of make this situation come alive more to us, maybe the equivalent situation in our culture today would be if we saw Jesus sitting down and eating together with a, a group of terrorists. Like he's actually there having fellowship, talking with them, maybe even laughing with them, having a meal with a terrorist group or, or this notorious uh, racist group, or something like that. and then from the outside looking in, like we're looking at that, like how does that make you feel? And that's exactly the, the bewilderment, the indignation that these Pharisees and scribes felt as they saw. they just could not understand it. What in the world is this man Jesus doing with those? Kinds of people, and those filthy people. Now Jesus is fully aware of the reason for their grumbling, and so he teaches them through these parables. Verse three: So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? Now Jesus uses an analogy that everyone in that culture can understand. And says, this is what a shepherd would do. He would leave the 99 and go after the one lost sheep. This is what any shepherd would do. But me, from my lens, I read this. And the question I ask is, why would the shepherd leave the 99 for the one lost sheep? What if something happens to the 99 while you're gone? Maybe it's better to just count it a loss and just keep the 99 safe. Now doesn't that make sense to you? That makes sense to me. And now the reason why I think like that is because I'm not a shepherd. Because I basically don't care about sheep. But a shepherd, the point is a shepherd does not think like that. He does not think I have 99 so I can afford to lose one. A shepherd would go after the one lost sheep that's lost because each sheep is valuable to them. In the same way that as a father of four kids, if one of them goes missing at the state fair, of course, I would do everything humanly possible to go after that one lost child. (laughs) Isn't that, like, ludicrous? Oh, I still have three, right? (laughs) So Jesus is telling this story to say that's exactly what God is like for even one lost sinner. That's the attitude that God has toward even one, the value of one lost sinner. He's saying, you, you Pharisees, teachers of the law, you think that these people are just... Worthless because you consider them to be in this category of sinners. You don't think you don't care about them. But every single person is immeasurably valuable to God. You cannot measure the value of that one person to God. Um, in our garage, even today, right now, we have large containers full of Lego pieces. That's because over the past maybe, I don't know, 12 years or so, our kids have accumulated many, many different Lego sets. I mean, think about it. Birthday presents, Christmas presents, from grandparents, from aunts, and from uncles, from friends. I mean, like you, you have, if a kid has a birthday party, he invites like a dozen friends, five of them will probably be Lego sets. Now, think about that. Multiply that by four kids by many years. We have a lot of Lego sets stored away in our garage. We have sets from the Police City series, the Kingdom series, which is like a lot of castles and and knights and dragons and things like that. Of course, we have the Star Wars series, superhero series. Uh, That's, you know, like right around that time they came up with like those Lego uh, superhero movies, right? They came up with the... uh, Lego sets, because that's how they make money, right? Um, Ninjago series. (laughs) And so it's not just like one set per, like Star Wars and things like that. Like each series has like several sets of Legos. You know, you you have like the, the hundreds of pieces set that goes for like over $100, you might have like a smaller set. So we have like a lot of different sets of many different series. So, did you get the idea? We probably, I mean, I don't know. Like, if you want to count, you can count. But we probably, I don't know, like maybe millions? Millions of individual Lego pieces stored away in our garage. And because we were not meticulous about storing these sets separately, all the different Lego sets are broken up, and all the pieces are mixed together, with pieces with, from other sets. They all right now live together in large containers. Now, what if I said to you, hey guys, today after church, we're going to have like this really big Lego party together. Okay? Well, uh, we're not going to have ice cream here. We'll actually like take it to our house and we'll have ice cream social in our house and then we're all going to like, make Legos together. So come, because I still have the original instructions, what we'll do is we'll attempt to rebuild each set by digging into the container, looking for each individual piece, one at a time. (laughs) How many of you be for that? Like, oh, I love Lego, I love wasting time. So think about that. Millions of pieces, millions and millions of pieces, and you're carefully searching for that one piece that goes into the the set that you're making. It requires that one piece, and you have to find it. That would drive us crazy. It would drive me crazy. Um, There's probably, I don't know, here maybe roughly about a 100 people sitting here. This parable is teaching us That God cares about you. That God cares individually about you. Out of 100, God cares about you. He leaves the 99 and he's thinking about what you're going through. Even right now, he's pursuing after you. He's chasing after you even if there were a million people sitting here right now, God cares about you. In the same way that the shepherd would leave the 99 and pursue after that one lost sheep, he's chasing after you. Regardless of how many people are here, It would not change. Even out of a million, even out of a billion people, that would not change how important and valuable you are to God because you cannot measure the value of one person to God. Now, think about this. How God God cares for us does not depend on where we are, right? Notice that the 99 sheep are where they're supposed to be And one is not. It's the one that is lost. So to the shepherd, where they are does not affect how important they are to him. The one outside of the pen or wherever it's supposed to be is just as important as the 99 that are gathered where they're supposed to be. Jesus is showing us how God sees these tax collectors and sinners. We might be tempted to think, Um, oh, I'm not like a lot of other people here, right? I'm not like a lot of these church people. I do a lot of bad things. But you see what Jesus is saying here? God goes after that one that is not with him. Jesus knows exactly who the tax collectors and sinners are. He knows what they've done. He's fully aware of what they're guilty of, and yet he fully accepts them. It's because Jesus had this personal love, personal love for sinners that he was attractive to sinners. He didn't repel sinners. He actually made sinners want to draw close to him. So what this parable teaches us is that no matter where you are spiritually today, we can draw near to Jesus. God's personal love for us. Secondly, God's persistent love. Verse 8, Or what woman... Having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. Okay, so now the first parable, the lost sheep, I think is really about the importance of one. Really emphasis on the value and the importance of one, right? This parable is very similar, a lot of similar wording, but it really seems to emphasize God's uh, pursuit or his, his persistence in that pursuit, in that seeking. After that, one that is lost, because here the woman does everything necessary to find the lost point, and I think that's where the emphasis is—like doing whatever she can to find what is lost. I was thinking, you know, if I—I'm um, sure this has happened to you. If I drop something, I'm sitting on the couch or I'm in, like, in bed or something. I drop something. How do I try to find it? First, I do the lazy method, right? I first try to reach for it. I dropped it. It should be over here. I reach for it. Now, if that doesn't work, then I'll look. I'll look. Now, if that's not there, if it's still not there, then at that point, I have to make a decision because up to that point, it's been pretty convenient trying to find it like this. It's still not there. I can't find it. So what do I do? At that point, I have to make a decision. Do I want to go through the hassle of looking for this? If I do, the next step after that is got to go and get the flashlight. And get the flashlight and then go down there and then flash it and look under the couch or look under the bed. And At that point, if I still can't find it, then I have to try to lift the couch or lift the bed and find it. Okay? So you see, each step requires a little more work. And trying to find what is lost. Now that's kind of relatively easy, right? Trying to find something that you just dropped. Uh, But what if it's something that's more difficult to find? Recently I needed to to find the key to a bike lock because one of the kids wanted to ride his bike somewhere um, and I hadn't needed it till now uh, because they were young But now they're teenagers and they're like doing their own thing now because they think They can do their own thing because they're teenagers. So now they want to go somewhere and ride their bike. And so I had to find this bike lock key. I had the the bike lock, but I couldn't find the key. Because the last time I actually used it was probably about 15 years ago. And since then, we've moved twice. So I knew that this key was somewhere in the garage, but I had no idea where it was in the garage. So I delayed looking for it because I knew it was just going to be a long search having to go through everything in the garage. And I think that's kind of the idea here. The woman lights a lamp, sweeps the house, and seeks diligently until she finds it. Jesus is saying, that's the way that God seeks after the one lost sinner. God does not take on a passive position in our lives. God does not wait for the sinner to come to him. God actively pursues the lost sinner and is persistent in that pursuit until he is found. This actually reminded me of the story of Joseph in the Bible. Joseph grew up in a very dysfunctional family, was betrayed by his own brothers when he was a teenager, and was separated from his family, separated from his father for 20 years. And and after that time, when the time was right, God actually brought his family to repentance and brought about restoration in that family. Now, the crazy part about that story is that to bring about that repentance and reconciliation, God caused a famine. God caused a famine that lasted seven years in the entire Near Eastern region. Now, think about that. God orchestrated a famine that affected millions of people's lives for seven years to bring one family to repentance. So the equivalent of this woman sweeping her entire house or the equivalent of me flipping over my entire cluttered garage for God, the equivalent of God doing that, is God orchestrating worldwide events to go after even one sinner. That's the crazy truth that Jesus is telling us here through this parable, that God is willing to do anything to bring lost sinners to himself. And that explains, that explains things like sicknesses, heartache, things things that cause heartache, experiencing loss in our lives. Because God is willing to even hurt us to find us. Because that is a part of God's persistent love for us. God's personal love, his his persistent love, thirdly, lastly, God's, God's rejoicing love. So now, at the end of each of these two parables, Jesus says similar things. Notice, right? Verse 5, when he found it, the shepherd finds a sheep, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing, rejoicing. Verse 6, when, and when he has come home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you that there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents over than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Verse 9, very similar. When she has found it, the lost coin, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels God over one sinner who repents. So it seems like there are two things. It seems like there are two things that Jesus is saying through these verses. The first is obvious, that God rejoices when the lost sinner is found. Because each person is so important to God, so valuable to God, that he persistently seeks after them. And when the lost sinner is found, God rejoices. So that's obvious, right? That's clearly what Jesus is saying. The other thing also that I think Jesus is implying here is that not only is God rejoicing, but also the friends of God rejoice with God. Twice it says here, rejoice with me. The shepherd says, rejoice with me. The woman says, rejoice with me. There's rejoicing when the lost sheep, the lost coin are found not only by the shepherd and the woman, but the the friends and the neighbors rejoice with the people. They join in the rejoicing. And remember that Jesus is telling these parables because the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling that Jesus was actually eating with these sinners, but God's friends, if you're God's friends, you're supposed to rejoice with him when lost sinners are found. And since the Pharisees are grumbling instead of rejoicing, what's implied here is they're probably not God's friends. They probably won't be included among those in heaven rejoicing over the repentant sinner. Now, a good question that comes up at this point is, why? Why? Why does God rejoice over these sinners? Shouldn't God, who is holy, be disgusted by sinners? Just like the Pharisees and the the teachers of the law were disgusted by these sinners, shouldn't God, who is like so holy, perfectly holy, shouldn't he be repulsed by sinners even more than these Pharisees are repulsed by them? So instead of, Being disgusted by them, why does he actually rejoice over them? And The answer is because Jesus will pay for their sins. Jesus will pay for their sins, and the unrighteous sinners will become righteous because of Jesus, through Jesus. So when sinners come to God through Jesus, it will completely change how God sees them. God accepts them. Not only does God accept them, God actually rejoices over them. And that's what it means. That's what happens when sinners repent. they come to God through Jesus. I just uh, this morning actually I saw a squirrel running around the tree. and with my simple mind, I saw that and I said to myself, "Oh, there's a squirrel." And so that got me thinking, that's how we normally respond when we see a squirrel, right? Oh, it's a squirrel. That's what we think. But now, what if you saw that same squirrel inside your room? Ah, there's a squirrel! Oh, there's a squirrel. Ah, there's a squirrel! Where you see that squirrel matters, right? Let's kind of uh, take that up a notch a bit. If you saw a possum outside, you go, ew, gross. Because possums are, are gross creatures. But you're okay with it. You're still okay with it because you're outside. But, but again, what if a possum somehow got into your room and you saw the possum in your room? And it's like, like you know, it's like, it's like doing that, you know how possums do that, like that zombie, like, you know, like. What if you saw that in your room? Ah, disgusting. Most people would have an intense, intense emotional reaction to seeing that in the room. Why? Because where you see that possum, sinner comes to God. He should be repulsive to God. God should have an intense emotional reaction to our sin. But where you are standing makes a world of difference. If you're standing in Jesus Christ, the blood that he shed on the cross for our sins completely changes how God sees you. So now God does, he does have a have an emo, intense emotional reaction, but it's not of disgust, but of love. To the point where now God sees the sinner in Christ and it, he actually rejoices over you. And you see the, a, a part of what Jesus is saying here, not only God rejoices over the, the out of love for that sinner who comes to God in repentance. But anyone who does not understand that, anyone who feels like heaven is this exclusive club for righteous people, does not know Jesus. Let me just close with this thought. Last week, um, I went bike shopping. told you about that. Um, But I went to this other place, too, to buy a bike. Um, Didn't end up getting it. I, I, I saw it, the listing on Facebook Marketplace went to check it out, went to the person's door, rang the bell, a man came out, and the first thing he said to me, in his Russian accent, he goes, so you're a pastor. Don't know who he is. Uh, Never met him before in my life. But apparently he saw that through my Facebook profile, right? So the first thing, he rang the bell. Oh, so you're a pastor. Turns out uh, he's a Christian. He attends a, a Pentecost charismatic. He attends a Pentecost Serbian Christian church somewhere in the cities. He showed me the bike. Kind of ended up it was broken, so I didn't want it. Uh, He offered me some other bikes. I said, no, I don't want that either. Um, And then, you know, at that point, I should just go home, right? But I don't know. Like, we just ended up talking. Uh, He talked to me about his uh, home, home, like, siding and gutter business. I told him about the church I pastor. Um, He told me about the type of gutters that he uses. Um, He told me about the condition that his son had when he was a small child and how God miraculously healed him. And now he's uh, a healthy young man. Um, And uh, so we talked. And finally, before I left, he wanted to pray together. So we prayed together right there in his driveway. So there we were, two people who were complete strangers just a little while ago, praying together. And now remember, he's a Pentecost right? he's a Pentecost Christian, and he's Russian, so he prayed out loud. He's a Pentecost charismatic Christian, so he was praying out loud uh, in Russian with his hands held up high in his driveway. And how did I know his hand was raised up high like that? Um, Because a part of me, I'm like praying, could not believe this was happening. So part of me was like, (laughs) there he was, Russian, I was going to say Russian Jesus, but you know, (laughs) Jesus speaks all languages. So anyway, I was kind of thinking about that, That is, you know, just thinking about that, of how, like, amazing that that is. I mean, like, if you look at that scene from the outside, that had to have looked pretty ridiculous. You're like a neighbor looking out, and you see, like, this Asian and this Russian. Like, that had to have looked ridiculous. But isn't that amazing that two people from opposite sides of the earth can actually have an instant spiritual connection just because of Jesus Christ? And that's the, one, that's the one great truth that matters when we come and approach God. You see what Jesus is saying here? It does not matter who you are, what you've done, what you've not done, over the years what you've become, affected by sin. None of those things matter. Jesus is a holy God who makes sinners want to draw close to him because that is the reason for which he died. So what that means is no matter where we are spiritually today, we can repent and come to God. And when we come to God in Jesus Christ, he will actually rejoice over you. Let's pray together. Let's pray together, thinking about the God who considers even one sinner so valuable, so important that he would leave the 99. Thinking about the God who who would orchestrate and alter worldwide events, creating and shifting cultural movements to even bring one sinner to repentance. What that means is right now, He knows exactly what's in your mind. He knows exactly what's on your heart. He knows exactly what you're going through. And God considers you so precious, so valuable, because you are that one sheep that Jesus died on the cross for. He is flipping over boxes, you know, bringing hardships, bringing people, all these different things into your life to get your attention to bring the lost or wandering sinner into a place of intimacy with him doesn't matter what the past is doesn't matter what we've done doesn't matter a lot of things don't matter one thing that matters is that we come to god humbly with a broken heart and repentance God, I'm a sinner in need of your grace, and he will freely, graciously embrace us in joy. Let's pray before the Lord. Pray they would experience this amazing love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace, amazing grace, and your love in our lives. Um, Lot of uh, simple, common things that we take for granted, uh, consider it very simple because we hear so much and we take it for granted. We pray that you would allow this simple truth to become something that is so personal, so real to us. In the way that you consider us so valuable, you have such intimate, and personal love for us. Help us to see that, and experience that, and enjoy that in our hearts. Thank you, Lord in Jesus, name. Before we close our time together, I want to ask us to pray for one thing. Together, uh, there's power when brothers and sisters gather together and pray together, I mean, whether it's in the driveway or a church. Pray together. There's strength and power that comes uh, in prayer. So I want to ask um, that we pray, I guess more so as you know, small group started, and so maybe more so you think about your small group. Pray that um, you can help people Other people uh, realize personal, pursuing, persistent, amazing, overwhelming, rejoicing love of God. Pray that you can contribute to helping other people realize that. I think um, even though God is like that, like he's moving um, the world to bring us to himself, even though that's a reality, reality, a lot of times we don't see that. We're just too consumed by our circumstances, what's happening around us, the difficulties that we face in our lives. And so a lot of times, like, we feel uh, alone. Like, we feel like that lost sheep that's, like, wandering around, like, where am I, what's going on in my life? We feel so lost a lot of times. um, because a lot of different factors. And uh, let's pray that God, help me to be um, used by you uh, so people don't feel like that. Help me to contribute to showing your love. In a real way to people. Because that's that's real. Because that's real. God is working in such amazing ways because God is like that. Hey, so let's pray together for that for a moment. Think about your small group. Um, and then uh, I'll close us in prayer. And benediction. Father, once again, we thank you for your word that shows us the reality of uh, many of our life situations. We thank you that even through these parables, we can see that we can be lost outside and we can be lost inside and even be like the Pharisees and be lost inside the church wondering a lot of different things, misunderstanding a lot of different things about God. We can be lost outside the church so many different ways that we can get lost in our own thoughts and our circumstances and forget what an amazing loving God you are to us, how personal you are to us, how available you are to us, how we never lo- leave your sight and leave leave your, your heart, your mind how you're always working for our good to draw us into an intimate love relationship with you so that we can actually realize um, everything that Jesus gave his life for, that we can really live in the, the benefit of those blessings. Uh, pray that you would help us realize that through the power of your word, and we pray as well that you would use the community, our small groups, brothers and sisters, as we share together, as we pray together, Pray that you would use that to make the love of Jesus Christ come alive in personal and intimate ways. Thank you, Lord, for your great love for us. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, amazing, unconditional, unfathomable love, the love of the Father God, fellowship, strength, power of the Holy Spirit be with you, God's people, both now and now.